take your balloons to the next level as we delve deeper into what truly makes a professional balloon artist with your host, Zivi Kivi. Now, welcome to the Balloon Artist Podcast. Hello, Balloon Artist Podcast Nation. This is Zivi Kivi, and this is Season 4, Chapter 11. Oh, wow. We've been through almost the entire season. We have only two more episodes or chapters, the way that I call them, and those will be really soon, in uh, next week and the week after. So, guys, this means also that at uh, the end of the season party is going to happen soon within the month of June because in July I'm going on a family vacation to Chicago to visit my brother there uh, but within the month of June there will be a webinar a free webinar I might add and at the end of the webinar we will celebrate the end of the season and I will share with you some insights that I've learned in this season and also I will be launching a MAPC 3.0 the modern automated balloon business course which is more like a program this show is sponsored by Brody's Balloons and the interviewee of this season of this chapter is Jason Secoda. Jason Secoda is not just a stud, he's actually a very, very talented balloon artist and a quite a popular teacher. And let me say you something. He is a decorator. I know you might be thinking yourself, hey, I know Jason Secoda is an amazing twister, but actually, you know, when you think about some of his things that he does with the Secoda machine, those are decorator pieces, and they actually sells some of them. So I want to put a light, a beacon of light, on all kinds of aspects of decor, and one of them is the amazing work of Jason Secoda. Let's go right into the interview. Hello, Balloon Artist Podcast Nation. Today we are here with Jason Sakoda. Jason Sakoda is a balloon artist from Philadelphia, USA. He was a teacher and an instructor in Twister Shout and just recently on WBC. What an honor to, to teach there and to push the limits of the art. Hello, Jason. How are you, Zivi? What's going on? Cool. So uh, today we're going to talk about the Sekoda and uh, a little bit about uh, uh, your uh, the way that you're pushing uh, uh, the frontier of uh, of the heart. So, so so let's start with that, and then we can talk a little bit about about uh, what you do in your art. So, what is the Sekoda? Okay, um, to tell you. Properly about the Sakota, I think I would have to back up and tell you a little bit about me first. Um, basically, what I, I'm not a full-time balloon artist. I am a part-time balloon artist. Uh, my full-time job is I'm a physical therapist. In the United States, we say physical therapist. Everywhere else, we say physiotherapist, pretty much. So that's my full-time job. So it's, um, without, it goes without saying that I have a a passion for the human body, how it works, how it's put together, um, everything. And I've been lucky enough that I've been able to incorporate that same passion into my balloon art, right? So that's kind of the direction where my art has has traveled in the past. I've been, I've been doing balloon art for 17 years. So that's kind of the direction my balloon art has traveled in the past 17 years. Very body focused very very heavy in that direction very heavy in anatomy and physiology especially human anatomy and physiology 
So uh, years ago, when I first started competing, uh, I still had that interest, but I had no idea how to make it look clean. Um, I had made my first twist and shout was 2009 in Cerritos, California. And the thing that I made, I made like a really tall, it's like eight feet tall. I made a red devil, almost reminiscent of the devil, at least what was in my mind. Um, reminiscent of the devil that was in the movie Legend with Tom Cruise for the people out there who actually saw that movie. Excellent makeup job in that movie, by the way. That was Tim Curry in in all that red makeup. But anyway, uh, I wanted to make a devil that sort of resembled that. And I wanted to make the muscles accurate as far as their insertions and their origins, kind of where the muscles attach in the body. But I didn't have a way of covering it with skin. Now, as I kind of progressed and got, you know, I guess a little more skilled with my art, I figured out a way to make realistic muscles or to make a muscle look realistic inside of skin. But I can only do it short because of the way you do distortion. You know, you the, typically the way you do distortion is you blow up a 646. Let's just say we're using 646s and then you'll put the stuff inside a 646 and then you pop the 646 around it. But the problem with that is that you can only use about half of the 646 because the other half is required to blow it up, right? So I wasn't really happy with having such short area to work with. So then I was having a discussion with uh, a friend of mine, Larry Moss. And on a separate occasion, I was having a discussion with a friend of mine, Andy McDonald. Both Both of those gentlemen had talked about the fact that they had used vacuum pumps or had attempted to use vacuum pumps in their balloon art creations. And as soon as that idea, as soon as I was turned on to that idea, I absolutely fell in love with it. I went out and I created my own vacuum pump. I created a, a large scale vacuum pump that's big enough to accommodate a 646. It'll accommodate uh, 18 inch rounds. It'll accommodate three foot rounds. It's huge. Um, but the, the, the big value in this thing is that I can use the full length of a 646. And then once I saw that I could use the full length of these 646s, it really opened up a huge avenue for me so that I can I can create these realistic looking muscles because I have the knowledge of, of human anatomy and physiology as a, as a physiotherapist. Um, so it really opened up this avenue where I can create these realistic looking muscles and do the full length. Like with an arm, I can do all the way from the top of the shoulder all the way down to the hand, the knuckles where the fingers begin in one 646. In the legs, I can go from the, the bottom of the foot all the way up to the top of the thigh in a 646. So it's, I've, I've been lucky enough that I can achieve some really nice aesthetics with it. Cool. So basically it's a double stuffing uh, machinery, but you're stuffing inside a twisting piece, which builds all the internal muscles, all the, all the muscles. And then the 646, which is being vacuumed, uh, pulled out into the machine's uh, uh, outer rim, uh, will allow you to put uh, everything inside basically and uh, make sure that it will look good when the m- b- balloon is taken out of the machine. Um, how does it work? W- where is the vacuum cleaner? Can you tell us a little bit about the, the internals of the machine? Okay. Um, first, I want to apologize because you asked me a simple question about what is it and I, and I spoke for five minutes and didn't actually say what it was. You answered the question for yourself. So thank you. I'll try to stay on task in the future. <laughs> okay. But you said, how does it work? Okay. Um, it's a vacuum chamber, right? It, I made it big enough and long enough that I'll accommodate the full length of a 646. Uh, but I also, I, I created it that, so you'd only have to use hand power to make it. 
Okay. Um, I decided against using a vacuum cleaner just for the, not that a vacuum cleaner doesn't work, you know, because if you have a shop vac, you know, it has a decent amount of horsepower. Um, it'll pull it just fine. But I wanted something that did not require that for a couple of reasons. One, if you're going to be traveling, you never know if you ever, I mean, most of the time you're going to have a power source, but if you don't by some chance, then you're out of luck. But with me, you don't need any kind of power source. Okay. Also, uh, who wants to haul around a vacuum cleaner with them, right? It's bulky. It's a pain in the butt. It's heavy. The, the, the pump that I made is the vacuum chamber is big. It's about six inches in diameter. And then the pumping, the actual, the pump part of it is, is narrower. So basically to make it for easy for traveling, I, the pump, I just literally turn upside down and stuff it inside the vacuum and I fit it inside. I use a snowboard bag. So if I have to fly with it, I just put it inside a snowboard bag and that's a normal check bag. It's, it's really easy to travel. So it's completely hand powered. How do you maintain its vacuum? Oh, well, it's just like any other, um, just like any other pumps, how any other pump out there works. There's, there are check valves, um, inside of it. A check valve is something that allows air to go one way, but not the other. Right. So once the air is pulled out, it doesn't go back in. Cool. And will you walk entirely out of the Sakoda machine and then insert it and like finish it up? Or do you also have some details that you need to walk and pull you, put your hands into the machine and walk inside? Yes. Yes to both. Yeah, the, the answer is yes to both. Because um, if, I, if I make something like, like an arm or a leg, they're thin enough, they're narrow enough that I can completely work outside of the machine and then just put my assembled parts inside and it's, and it's good. Um, sometimes, so if I make an arm and I completely work outside of the machine and then I put it inside the, the, inside the Sakota and then I take the, the then wrapped When I say wrapped, I mean the skin, the 646 is now wrapped around the assembly. So, and I take the wrapped piece out. Sometimes the balloon, most times, most times the balloon pieces inside are not exactly in the exact positions where you want them. So you will, there, some adjustments are pretty much required. You'll have to reinflate it just a teeny bit and use your finger, working from the outside balloon of the balloon with your fingers. You'll have to readjust parts to kind of get them in position where you want them. So there's that. Uh, but also if you work really big, like I've made, I've made torsos using three foot rounds with the Sakota and the balloons, of course, that's a torso doesn't look like a cylinder, right? So basically what you do is you inflate the three foot round as, as much as you can inside the, the Sakota. And then what you do is you stuff all the balloons that you need or that you know you're going to need into the, into the, the vacuum chamber. And then you you know, you, you break the vacuum seal and then you take the, the three footer, the now stuffed three footer out and it's not going to look like a torso at all. Everything's smushed in a cylinder. You then have to, you have to unquestionably rearrange the balloons to get it to look right. So the answer is yes on both accounts. You work in and out of the balloon. Cool. But, uh, you don't need to actually go into the Sakoda while you put the things inside. You just push the thing oh. inside yeah oh yeah yeah yeah. i misunderstood yeah no you don't have to reach your hand in there you work outside you put the assembly inside and then you break the vacuum seal and then once the vacuum seal is broken the 646 of course will shrink wrap itself around the assembly that you've made and then you pretty much have your shape so you don't have to work inside the machine now and uh have you been using this uh, uh for, so for how long so how long have you been using this coda I, I first made it in probably December of 2000, do the math, carry the two, 
13. 2013, um, because the first time I used it for, I created it knowing I was going to use it for a competition piece when I went to Twist and Shout. And uh, the first, I made it in December because I was going to use it in February. So I've been using it since then. I've I've used it to compete at Twist and Shout in 14. I used it to teach at WBC just uh, last week. It's, that's why you and I are having this conversation. Um, I've used it to compete at WBC in... 2014. So yeah, I've I've used it quite a bit for about two and a half years. Did you ever uh, sell any any piece like any deco or something like that, or made in a piece with it also for uh, for paying uh, customer? I do, I do. But because uh, needless to say, it's uh, the techniques are very work intensive. So you you of course you have to upcharge for that kind of thing because you want to make it worth your time. So I don't sell it as regularly as I do other things just because. You know you have to pass you have to pass that cost on to the client, so I don't sell it as much, but for my clients who who you know have the money and and my clients who really appreciate the sophistication of my work um they'll they'll gladly pay for it so i I do sell it sometimes. How do you connect the the ready made uh, ha- uh hand or leg up to the rest of the body so uh you and I were talking about this earlier. I know there's There are balloon artists out there who are purists in the sense that they won't use anything but balloons, and uh, there are people who are not purists. I fall into the latter category. I, I, will, I have nothing against using glue or, or any kind of adhesive, whatever, or multimedia for that matter. So now before I get off, because obviously I can get off track, let me just say that if I don't use a raisin, sometimes you can stick a raisin inside of the skin, the 646, and you can use the raisin that you put in to attach let's say the uh the shoulder to the sleeve right you can do that but i'll more than likely just just for fear of popping the 646 because when you have that much work that goes into doing just one arm if you pop the skin it would you know just make you like turn into like the incredible hulk and flip out you know so just to avoid that possibility i just use adhesive on the outside of the 646 and just put that right onto the the body I know some people would really think that's probably a bad move because if your adhesive fails and the arm falls off but I have literally never ever had that happen to me what kind of adhesive do you use I don't know if it's a uh, a balloon adhesive my my good friend Dennis Scott was the one who turned me on to this stuff it's uh it's called uh, u glue dashes you like the letter you uh, glu dashes I think if I understand correctly I think it's like a floral adhesive but I found that it works really really well and if you're careful if you're careful if you screw up and put it in the wrong place you're actually I found that it's I'm able to remove it and replace it better than I could if it was like a uh, balloon bond or, or or whatever else is out there um, it's pretty strong it's an it's an it's a nice strong adhesive and I'm, I've been very happy with it once you have an arm or a leg made by the Sakoda how long will it last well it depends how you make it right if you make it okay well this is one of the things I, I talk about all the time when I teach it's it's for me it's it's pretty central to my distortion designs traditionally what we would do with our distortion to get a lot of the definition is we would build our piece and then right before you're finished with it you would suck as much of the air out of the 646 as you could and then you would seal it shut now um, I don't do that I actually advocate that you should keep the 646 open to air you shouldn't seal it at all because what happens is 
I mean, I might, a lot of people might already know this, but whatever. What happens is when you seal a 646 um, with stuff inside of it, the balloons inside will eventually leak their air, and then there's nowhere to go for that air, but in the space between the inner balloons and the outer balloon. And then what happens is that air will accumulate, and then it causes the outer balloon to bloat. But if you keep the balloon open to air and uh, there's no seal, then that air which is leaking out of the inside balloons has a free avenue to flow and then that pressure doesn't build up inside so then the balloon will never ever bloat okay so as long as you have it as long as the balloon lasts as long as our our latex balloons typically last and you know for us we balloon twisters are experienced ones we know that they'll last anywhere between you know a couple days if you're lucky you might get a couple weeks out of them you know if you don't treat them with high float or anything Uh, so as long as the balloon is alive you'll have that same amount of definition Yeah, and uh, and you also uh, showed me a couple of pictures of of uh, like two arms. One of them was tied, and uh, a couple of hours after, not a couple of hours, but uh, several hours after, uh, the the definition of the muscle is not so clear. And uh, when when the other arm was uh, not tied, all the definition of the internal muscles they were still realistic. So that that that's a very interesting concept by itself. Thank you very much. I, I, thought it, I thought it ended up working uh, really, really well. I can't justify selling a piece. Now, granted, you know, we're balloon artists. I mean, some of these things we do for the sake of art, which is uh, amazing, but we also have to make money. So I, I can't, I, when I designed this distortion like this, I made it that way so that you, it would actually, despite the fact that it's hard work, it would still be sellable. And I can't justify selling something to a client that's just going to, lose all that amazing definition in like five hours, six hours, you know, by the time you make it and get it delivered, it, you're already losing some of the awesomeness of it in the, in those cases. So I designed it so that it would last longer. Spot on. Um, so I'd like to talk with you a little bit about your lectures as an instructor and the fact that you're doing something uh, a little bit different uh, when you're instructing. Let, let's talk about that. So, One of the things that I really like to, to get my students to think about what I'm teaching is, again, I want the art of balloon art to, to advance as much as it possibly can. I want to always push the boundaries and see how far we can go and how far the art can go and how many new things we can come up with. And part of that is, is, being, is being an adventurous artist. You know, we have to really know where we're going with everything. We don't want to be paint-by-numbers kind of followers you know if we learn recipes all the time from other people that's okay you know you're learning more but you're never you're not learning more more ways to do anything go back to the cliche you know give a man a fish he eats for a day teach a man a fish he, he he eats for a lifetime that kind of thing so going by that idea what I when I tell people to, to, to do things in my classes I don't say for example, Okay, we're going to do a six-inch bubble file by a two-inch bubble file by a three-inch bubble, blah, blah, blah. I don't ever say that. If we're making an arm, for example, I won't say here's a two-inch bubble, blah, blah, blah. I'll say, all right, this first balloon is going to be the biceps of the guy's arm. It's going to be the front of his arm. And then we're going to make a little pinch twist, and this pinch twist is going to be an elbow. And then we're going to do the triceps. I will actually identify landmarks of everything that I do because what that does automatically is it gets the, the student in the frame of mind of seeing what they're making, not what they're told to make, right? It gets you out of the paint by numbers kind of idea and it gets you into the idea of seeing in your mind 
already what you're making before it's made instead of just knowing that you have you have step one followed by step two followed by step three. So if you already start to see what you're making in your mind and you already have a conceptualization of what it's going to be, then if there if adjustments need to be made a little later down uh, the, the sculpture when you're making it, then those adjustments can be made easier because you can see what it should look like and you're not just blindly following what you're told to do. So it's it's really like a frame of mind shift. It's not so much a better way of doing things. It's just it's just a way to get you thinking in a different way, in a way that's going to allow you to see things better, allow you to be more, a little more creative. And definitely, like from my point of view, when I'm learning a, a recipe, or uh, it's really hard to do something just because you have been told to do it without understanding what are you making. So by 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 doing it the other way around and saying, let, let's say it's a cat, so let you you say, now we're making the ears, so now we're making the head, the, the 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 nose, and so on. It's easier to remember and to follow up. I think. I absolutely, I absolutely agree with you. Let's talk a little bit about your walking uh, repertoire. When was the last time you've made a simple sword for a paying customer? <laughs> I try to never do it as much as I can. Uh, usually that's that's the stuff I make for the person who is absurdly persistent at the end of the day when I've already ended my line 15 minutes before that and I have to just give them something because I can't let them walk away empty-handed. So yeah, I'll say, you know, I'm already late, whatever, I have to get out of here, so I'll just make you a sword. And even then, it's too simple for my taste, so I'll like, I'll close my eyes when I make it. I mean, any balloon artist who's been doing this for a while knows it's not hard, because we see with our hands, you don't, you know, when you build things, you're, you're, you're seeing with your hands, not your eyes. So, but the client itself, the client themselves, they see it, and they're impressed by it, because they don't understand, you know. Uh, I'll either turn around, and I'll build it behind my back, or I'll close my eyes and build it, just to make the, 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 the experience of getting it a little more impressive rather than just saying here's a sword beat it you know that's a cool tip by itself and uh, what kind of sculptures do you make for your for your for your customers during my during my normal events my, my everyday events I try to at least in my market I try to brand myself differently from people in that I, I want it to be more of a high-end service so I will make uh, I rarely if ever make very simple things like dogs and swords even yeah i rarely try i rarely make those things because i want my clients to know me as somebody who makes complicated stuff all the time so we're talking five six seven eight you know however many balloons it takes the designs that i make are complicated um i do i do use some other people's designs in my line work of course or my 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 everyday parties uh, i use plenty of my own as well but i rarely use simple stuff i want to be known as a higher end artist to my clients i noticed on facebook that some of the pictures that uh, of sculptures you've made are uh, elaborated pieces in terms of uh, your face structures as well so uh, is, is that something that uh, uh, is an original is an original design of yours yeah there there's one particular face that i've used for don't make me do the math i don't even know probably it's five years or six years i came up with it um, it's, it's, it's got some hearts for the cheeks. I remember another good friend of mine, uh, Rob Altunas, he, um, I saw a face that he'd made a couple years back and it kind of, I looked at it and it was similar and, and I kind of just, and I kind of went off of that and, and put some tweaks to it and made my own face. And this particular face that I've been using, I've been using it for like five, six years, almost everything I sell. The face is complicated enough and the lines are smooth enough that it looks really good without looking overly 
cartoony. Um, so, and it's impressive enough that, that it, it pretty much makes anything you sell, sell better. You know, it's, it's not just a simple couple twists for the nose and the cheeks. Like there, there's a good amount of detail in it and it looks realistic enough that it's really, really nice. Most of your personality in any piece you make is going to be in the face. You know, you can have a guy and you can spend a lot of time on, on his jacket. You can put buttons on his jacket and stripes or whatever you want to do. But if the face stinks, I am a firm believer that it's all going to stink because all your personality is in the face. That's what people are going to look at first. Most of my stuff is the same way. I'll spend, uh, I don't know, like I'm just trying to think a thing that I just made recently. Uh, I just made a leprechaun recently for St. Patty's Day. I spent maybe two and a half hours on the face and then I banged out the body in like an hour or, you know, 45 minutes. You know what I mean? So because the face has so much involvement, there's so much emotion there and, and people connect with the face. That's how you connect with people in your real life. You know, you connect with somebody's eyes, you connect with a smile, you know, you connect with those emotions that are expressed through the face. So if you're, if you, if you nail a face, then, then the rest of the sculpture is easy. It's gravy. When you're making a, a sculpture, a full full body sculpture with those uh, with a face of a person and so on, and uh, is is that a, a customer that only booked the decor or also books you for your twisting gigs? Uh, sometimes both. Sometimes one or the other. You know, it it really depends on the customer. I'll have um, I'll have people I'll have people who just do parties. Uh, just do like a backyard party and they might just get twisting because twisting has been my bread and butter, just live twisting. I've done that for 17 years. And then I started getting into the twisted decor stuff later. A lot of times I can upsell, I can upsell my clients. If I'm just twisting, I can upsell some kind of decoration piece, whether it be a table piece or a floor piece. And sometimes they'll just, they'll just have me do the delivery, do the decor, install it. I'll leave, you know, go back home and play some video games and then make it an easy day. But yeah, so it, you know, it's, it's a good mix. These days, when you are looking for inspiration, what kind of balloon artists are heroes of yours that you are trying to also learn from them and get inspired by them? I can tell you in, in, the, in the early part of my balloon twisting, I, I was really heavily influenced by guys like uh, Larry Moss. Larry Moss is amazing. The, one of the first pieces of, of uh, one of the first things I bought, pieces of education that I bought, was Larry's uh, CD-ROM. I think it was Balloonicature, and then I bought the other one, Attack of the 50-Foot Demon. I thought they were they were great resources. Um, also, uh, uh, now his name, Buster Balloon Caldwell, uh, he, he influenced me quite a bit in my early part of my career, and uh, Ken Stillman as well. So, I mean, these guys, those guys are heavyweights. You know, they've been around for a long time, and they're amazing at what they do. They've really pioneered the industry. So I learned pretty heavily from them. Um, more recently, even even guys that are that are my age or even younger, like Rob Balchunas, I think he's uh, he's an amazing artist, and I just love seeing his work. Uh, I take little bits from as many people as I can. He's one of the people I take more than a little bit from. I think he's great. Um, the Brennians are obviously obviously also incredible. I mean, I could really just keep going. There are tons and tons of people out there that are that are amazing. Basically. I, I'll take something from everyone. You know what I mean? Everybody has something to offer. Everybody has something, something that stands out, even if it's minor, you know? Uh, so it, you got to be able to learn from it, or be willing, I should say, to learn from any source that you can. So there are a lot of really great artists out there. And I really try to take something from everyone if I can. 
if someone wants to build uh, a Sakoda machine, uh, is that something that you will be willing to teach or, or to, do, do you plan to sell such a machine in the near future? Uh, yes. So after I went to WBC, I went in knowing what I was going to teach and I went in knowing that that material needed the Sakoda, right? So it's, I'm going to teach a class. It would be kind of unfair for me to teach a class and say, Hey, this is this awesome technique, but you guys can't have it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it doesn't make sense. So what I, what I was planning on doing was either, um, selling the, the plans, Right. And then allowing the, the, the artist to go home and try to make the Sakota themselves, right, with the plans, um, which is difficult to say the least because it's a lot of material you have to buy. Some of it is, is harder to find than others nowadays. And it's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work involved in making it. I was going to do that or I was going to actually work on, um, selling the actual Sakota itself to the people. I'm in the process right now of figuring out which one I'm going to, I'm going to do, um, for certain, but that, that decision is going to be made very, very soon. So if someone wants to get in touch with you, how should he do that? Uh, I think the easiest way is Facebook. You can certainly find me on Facebook. My name is Jason Sakota. Um, you can definitely find me. There are two of us. There's two of us out there. One's a baseball player, minor league baseball player. And the other one's me. I think it's pretty easy to find the difference. Um, or you can email me at airheadsentertainment at gmail.com. Um, they're pretty much the easiest ways to do it. And we'll make sure that uh, on the show notes on balloonartistpodcast.com, we'll put both just in case. Uh, do you have a website that uh, people can come and visit and uh, uh, learn a little, bit about, a little bit more about your art? I use Facebook actually partly because I'm cheap and partly because uh, Facebook is a really great avenue to get a lot of coverage. I mean, with the, with the sheer amount of traffic you have on Facebook these days, you might actually get more hits on a Facebook page than you would on you know a privately owned website. So I just decided to stick with Facebook. Um, whether that's a good or bad decision, I don't know. So other people can judge me for it. That's fine. But um, it's on Facebook, uh, facebook.com uh, slash Airheads Entertainment. Cool. So we'll put a link of that uh, in the show notes and people could, can uh, go to your Facebook page and uh, look for Jason Sakoda, not the baseball one, and uh, and get in touch with you. So awesome. Jason Sakoda, uh, it's been really a pleasure. You really have a, a very interesting style in the way that you sculpture things. So I really recommend people to go and uh, take a look at, uh, at your pictures of your art and as well I want to thank you for sharing uh, your passion for the art and for pushing the boundaries further thank you so much for interviewing me man I, it, it was a blast I really appreciate it see you soon thanks man Jason Sekoda is indeed an adventurous artist and I think we can all go on all kinds of adventures and one of the adventures that I'm offering right now is the clowning and comedy adventure where you find the clown within and where you become more aware of what works for you in being yourself and create all kinds of situations where your, your people around you just uh, love you and uh, have a blast around you and, and they laugh. And so uh, the Clowning and Comedy one-on-one -on -one course launched yesterday actually on the 1st of June and the launch will uh, end at the 8th 
of June. Within those days, uh, until the 8th of June, you're welcome to enjoy the clowning and comedy one-on-one course for a special launch price. Please check it out by going to clowningcourse.com and you can also uh, go to the Balloon Artist Facebook group and see the pinned top post about this special limited time offer of clowning and comedy one-on-one course. The main benefit of taking CNCC and enjoying it is that this course is just something that you need to try. You need to allow yourself to go on an adventure, to try and walk on how you behave, how you entertain, and you will learn all kinds of gags that will help you in your balloon business, whether it's in a line walk or on a show or even just in life, you know, with your family. So the clowning and comedy course is actually a resource that I think you are going to love. And people that took this course said that it was really well made and fun to consume and useful for them. Uh, People like Danny Schlesinger and others. Uh, So I hope you check it out. Let's meet on the Balloon Artist Facebook group and let's meet again maybe in George, the free mini course, or inside CNCC, the Clowning and Comedy course Facebook group. See you next week on the Balloon Artist Podcast. This show is sponsored by Brody's Balloons. Hello, Balloon Artist Podcast Nation. This is Season 4, Chapter 11, the tip section. And I want to share with you a technique of uh, how you can do two tulip twists that are actually marriage twists on one balloon. I usually do this on 350s, but you can use it on 260s as well, of course. And the benefit of using two different marriage twists is to create an illusion where there's no knot. So there's actually two clean uh, points of attachment that allows uh, a balloon wand to look really good. I use it to do all kinds of uh, nice looking balloons for girls which are wands that has two different attachment points uh, that make it more colorful and clean. Uh, So the way to do it, you start with one regular marriage twist, which is when you take a balloon, it's not, you hide it into the knot of the 350 and you push it with your finger inside, just like you do a tulip twist, but then you grab the two knots inside the 350 and you twist it and push it back inside. And that creates a connection point, which is called a marriage twist. Uh, you can all, you can then choose the location of where you want to connect something on the other side of the balloon. And then you twist a bubble, uh, which is roughly the size of the tulip twist uh, bubble. And then you cut the balloon uh, a few centimeters away from that bubble. What happens then is that you're going to create a knot about three centimeters away from the last bubble that you have air inside. And that knot, because it's three centimeters away, uh, is actually um, the situation is that you have some place to push the air towards the end, the new knot. And then you're going to actually perform a marriage twist on the other end 
and because it's all soft, it allows you to create the marriage twist, even though it was just inflated a minute ago. So this is a very uh, cute technique. If, you, if something is not clear, because really this is an audio format, you just go to uh, the balloonartistpodcast.com website and you can see the picture of the ready-made design. And if you have any questions, hit me on Facebook, on the Balloon Artist Facebook group, and I'll shoot you a video or show you it uh, live. I hope you've enjoyed the Balloon Artist podcast uh, season 4 chapter 11 and I hope to see you next week don't forget to check the CNCC special launch offering uh, that is available for you just until the 8th of June in the Balloon Artist Facebook group you can find all the details see you guys on next week on the Balloon Artist podcast